Hey everyone, this is Brittany, and this is episode 79. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey everyone, today we're talking with Nikki Rausch of Your Sales Maven. And this one's kind of fun because I met Nikki several years back and then we haven't reconnected until today. And we have a really great talk about how having a great sales process will aid you in building a solid personal brand. But first, about Nikki. She spent 25 years selling to such prestigious organizations as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Hewlett Packard, and NASA. And then she decided to trade in her road warrior status so she could help entrepreneurs sell in a way that builds relationships, creates true connection, and results in more closed deals and long-term clients. Now, as a sales coach, author, speaker, and founder of Sales Maven, Nikki transforms the misunderstood process of selling into techniques, tools, and tips that can be successfully incorporated into a process replicable by anyone whose livelihood relies on selling a product, a service, or themselves. When she's not helping business owners move their clients along the selling staircase, Nikki enjoys taking in all the beauty that living in the Pacific Northwest affords her. All right, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on to the No Like and Trust show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So when we got this all set up, I looked at the email and I was like, man, that name sounds familiar. And I won't tell you how long it took me to put two and two together, but it turns out we met each other several years back at a networking event. And here we are connecting again today. I love that. I love that we met that many years ago and you know, it kind of comes back around. I just love that about networking in particular. And I think it just goes to prove, right? So a lot of people go to networking events and they're like, I came home without any leads or without any sales. And they think it's a bust, but it's a long game. <laughs> networking is definitely a long game, which I think sales as well in a lot of cases that it is about, well, this feeds right into what you do. It's always that no like and trust factor. And it doesn't always just happen in one conversation. Well, yeah, most definitely. And <laughs> I look at some of my best clients over the last few years, and I don't think a single one of them popped into my inbox and said, hey, I met you here. I want to pay you money now. Yeah. I think most business owners, when they start out, think that that are entrepreneurs, like we think it's going to be that easy. You know, I'm going to put up a website. People are just going to flock to it. They're just going to pay me tons of money. That's not really how it works. There's a lot that goes into building those relationships before people will pay you money. So when you talk about lots of things that go into that, what would somebody expect to be looking at? Well, I teach a five-step approach to sales that is my signature framework. I call it the selling staircase. A lot of times when you hear people talk about sales, they talk about filling your sales funnel, which is an absolute valid concept. Where I think the sales funnel is lacking is that it doesn't actually prepare you for the sales conversation. Like what should you do and say in each kind of step? And so I started teaching this five-step process a, a while back. And it's really kind of like become its own entity now because people refer to it all the time. But it's this idea of that it's your job to move a client or a prospect from step to step to step 
to where you get to the place where you actually exchange dollars for services. And if you're just skipping through steps, if you go right from, I met you at a networking meeting, would you like to buy from me? And people are like, whoa, I don't even know what you do. Why are you asking for my business? That's skipping steps and it's off-putting. And this is oftentimes where we say like, oh, that person kind of feels like salesy or just kind of feels gross being in conversation with them. It's often because they're skipping steps. So it's so important to that in a sales conversation, you are following through with the steps. You're not trying to just skip ahead to the end. Like, let's just get to the good part, which is the part where you pay me money. People don't like that. And it feels off-putting. Yeah. Like the good part for who, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. For who. And it should be the good part for both, right? Like, each person should benefit from it. But if you are trying to skip through the steps, trying to like just go right in for the close every single time, it confuses people or it makes people feel uncomfortable or they will be hesitant because they feel like, why are you pushing? Like, should I, can I even trust you? Because you're pushing too hard and it feels like, I don't know, like it feels off in some way. And they might not even be able to articulate why it feels off. They just know that you will not earn their money. So when someone's going through these five steps, and I've heard, if this is similar, just go ahead and and, uh, call it out. But I've heard about, you know, customer journeys, client journeys, and how you have to move them across the, the different steps, as you call it, to the point where they are ready to trust you, they are ready to hand over that money and then receive value in return. But where are the hangups that most people are going to fall into along that journey? Well, some of the major hangups come oftentimes when people will say to me, like, I'm not a very good closer. And when I dig into the process with them, it's not that they're not a good closer. It's that they never get to the close step. So the five steps are introduction, curiosity, discovery, proposal, and then close. And a lot of times where people are lacking is they don't know how to create step two, curiosity. They don't know how to create any curiosity about their business, about who they are, about how they might be able to serve the person they're in conversation with. And because they don't create any curiosity, they never get to move to the discovery step. And then kind of one of the pitfalls in the discovery step, which is step three, is we spend way too much time in discovery talking about things that don't lead to hiring us and or we coach or give advice in a discovery, which is a huge mistake. And the reason it's a mistake, I often say it's like, because you know all that you know. You're an expert in your field. You've been doing it for a really long time. And so it comes easy to you oftentimes. So it's easy to just kind of drop these little nuggets of advice for somebody. And it's a way sometimes you feel like, well, that's my way to demonstrate, like, I really know my stuff. But it's like saying to somebody like, here's this grain of sand and behind me there's this huge beach, but they don't know that all your expertise reside behind you and you just gave them this little grain of sand and they think that is the beach and now they don't think they need to hire you because you gave them some little nugget that they think is the whole world to solving their problems. And so in the discovery, I would say like, you cannot coach, you have to ask very strategic questions and you move somebody through the process. So I've heard it said like this before, you solve a problem and agitate to another. So solve, agitate, solve, agitate. And you're saying that you don't want someone to solve anything during the discovery call. I don't. 
Now it's uncover. I want you to uncover what some of those challenges are, what some of those desires, those wants are like, what's going on for this person? Where are the struggles and what do they want to see changed? And then your job is to demonstrate that you have an, a way for them to get the solutions. So I'm probably not a huge advocate for the way that you just described, like, you know, agitate. I don't need to make people feel in a conversation like if you don't hire me, your life is over. And I think sometimes that approach kind of comes off of like, we have to make people sit in their pain points and make them so uncomfortable. I'm not a big fan of that. (laughs) Really what I think is we are savvy as a society and we're like, we got it. Like we know that that's what people are doing when they're, when they're selling to us that way. And so it, again, it can be a little bit off-putting. Also, it takes a lot more time during the discovery. If you're just trying to like solve a problem and agitate, solve a problem, and agitate, you're, you're probably spending like an hour on those calls. I truly don't believe you should be spending an hour on your discovery calls. As a matter of fact, I teach most of my clients how to do it in 30 minutes or less because it's really like, can you identify, do they have a problem and do I have a need that can solve it? And if so, then I've done a well done discovery. They understand that there's a challenge and that they want something solved. I'm going to offer them a solution on how to get it solved. And then I'm going to move them to the proposal. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time trying to agitate somebody. I love that because, well, first of all, who has time for hour-long discovery calls? I I certainly do not. So (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I've always done mine in like 20, 25 minutes or so. I block a half hour for it, but I talk fast, so it's helpful. (laughs) I love that. So when you're talking about uncovering you know, what their need is, what their problem is. How do you make that transition from that moment to, all right, sounds like this is your problem. Here's what I have to offer. So I like to ask permission and I call it issuing invitations to move from step to step. So one of the ways that I would do that in a conversation is I would say, you know, based on everything we've talked about, I do actually see a way that we could work together and get this solved. Are you interested in talking about what that would look like? So I'm going to ask that permission. I'm not going to just jump right into the proposal because that sometimes can come off like she's just trying to like do a hard sale. But if somebody says yes to the question that I just asked, if they're like, yes, I want to hear how to work with you and how to get this solved, they're much more engaged in what you're about to say. So ask permission before you jump right into like, here's how you can hire me and here's how much money you have to pay me to do it. Because again, we don't want people to feel like you're just trying to hard sell me because none of us want to be sold to like that anymore. Like we're so sick of it. So when we're talking about the sales process, the five different steps and moving your client or prospect across those five steps, there's obviously going to be multiple areas where you could break down a little bit, where you could lose trust, where you could just miss a cue. What are the most common problems that you see? A lot of times it's that you're not asking the right questions in that. So one of the mistakes that people often make is they ask questions that they really only need the answers to once somebody hires them. And so, for instance, somebody who's in a financial field this I work a lot of times with people in the, you know in the financial field and they want to ask people all kinds of really personal questions in a discovery but they actually don't need those answers until the person hires them so instead I want them asking questions that are more geared towards 
am I demonstrating by the questions that I'm asking that these are the types of solutions that I can offer? So for instance, you know, me as a sales coach and trainer, I don't ask questions like, do you have a CRM? Because I don't care. And I don't need to know that until you hire me. Like, do you have a way that you track your leads? I don't need to know that in the conversation, in a discovery. What I need to know is, do you know how to create curiosity when you're talking about your business? Because guess what? I teach that. And then I want somebody to go like, what do you mean curiosity? Well, now I just like planted a seed. Oh, if I don't know what Nikki's asking me about, I might need some help with that. Okay. So when we're talking about getting past those questions. So one of the questions I've heard other people when I've been in sales calls or even questions that I've used in discovery calls as well is going to be geared towards figuring out what their problem is. And I don't know, I mean, because I'm not a business coach, I've never asked someone, well, what's your monthly revenue? You know, like that's just not my venue. Right. Yes. You know, I, I will ask other things like, you know, where are you losing clients right now? Like, where is the hole in your process? Where are people falling off? Yes. Because knowing that is, for me at least, critical to knowing whether I can actually help them. Yes, absolutely. You should be asking questions where you do need to know, like, do they even have a problem? But what you probably don't need to know is what the specific open rates are and the change between the open rates, between, you know, their email sequence. Is it, you know, are they falling off at email six or are they falling off at email seven? That's the kind of stuff that you dig into once they've paid you money. All right. So that's a really clear example. So let's pose a hypothetical here and let's talk about someone who's not in finance just because I don't I don't deal with a lot of people in finance. My audience probably isn't made up with too many of those. Let's talk about a fitness instructor who's had a fairly successful business in person, but wants to move more to an online model to scale, to get some time freedom, you know, the, the whole, whole deal there. When that person is setting up their sales process, you know, they're, they're getting people, you know, on the phone, they're wanting to fill a, a group program that runs for a few months or something like that. And they have a lot of people saying something like, oh, that sounds really good, but not right now. Where would you dig in to find out more in that situation? Okay, so one of the things I want to ask them is like, what prompted them to reach out and have this call with me? Because there's people don't just get on the phone with no intention at all of wanting to hire you, right? There has to be something if they're going to get on the phone with you of uh, that they're like dipping their toe in the water a little bit. So I would want to know what prompted them to get on the phone with me. I also want to know like what's important to them right now in their journey, in their health journey, because that's what this program is offering. And what's their biggest struggle right now in regards to their health? Like those are prime questions that I need to know the answers to. Then they come back and they're like, well, it, you know, it sounds good, but it's like not right now. So I would want to know like what part of it feels like now is not the right time. Like I would be really, I get really curious when somebody gives me a, an answer like that. <laughs> like what part of it is sounds good. And then what part of it makes you think not right now? Because what's the real objection? They're not telling you what their real objection is yet. And we need to dig a little bit to find out what's the real objection. Is the real objection money? Or is the real objection that they don't think this is going to meet their need or solve their problem? 
or is the real objection that they feel uncomfortable being in a group and they'd rather work with you privately? Gotcha. So I've always heard it said that when people say it's money, that's rarely the actual objection. And then you gave two other examples, obviously, uh, one of which makes total sense. They don't want to do something in a group fashion. Some people like that solo attention. And I don't know, when people say it's money, I, I sometimes wonder, like, did you think it was going to be free? <laughs> now, I have had personally, not obviously, I'm not a fitness advisor, but I have had personally, I've been on a sales call where the person clearly thought that it was going to be a very different price point level than what I what I have. And and for, you know, that kind of situation where you can like read the shock, you can hear it in their voice. I guess I would believe money as an excuse, but by and large, I feel like it's not typically the biggest excuse. Yeah, well, I agree. And I will I will dig in here a little bit with this and say one of the ways to avoid having a bunch of those conversations with people that have sticker shock when you get on the call with them is to put pricing on your website. And I know that goes against what a lot of salespeople advise, but I am adamant that you should have some pricing on your website. And if you're having a bunch of conversations with people who are having sticker shock, it starts to make you doubt your pricing and it starts to make you doubt your offers. You really don't want to be on conversations with people that are like, what? When you get price, right? Like that's a horrible response. Um, now there will be people who maybe they didn't go to your website or maybe they didn't do any investigating and that's okay. Not everybody's going to be a client. And as a matter of fact, like I always say somebody who shows up and says, I have a hundred percent close rate in my mind, I always go, then you have a problem because you shouldn't be closing a hundred percent of everybody you're talking to. Cause there's something wrong, whether it's your pricing's not high enough, your like your offer <laughs> is is too like you're giving too much away there's some piece there that's that's causing this but if you're getting a lot of no's and it's all about price it's usually because you don't have pricing listed somewhere that people have no idea when they're getting on the phone with you what kind of pricing they're talking about now let's say that they're like yeah uh I'd really like to do this but I just I just can't swing this right now with my budget. So I get curious again in those moments and I would say, and this is for me. Now this this may not work for all, all of your listeners. Um, so do what feels right for your business. But I always say, you know, I do offer a payment plan and that's something we could talk about if you're interested in. I don't dive into the payment plan. I check to see if they are even interested because if they're like, yeah, even with a payment plan, I couldn't do it. Well, in those cases, I do what I call bless and release those people. Like I wish them well and I send them on their way because they're not ready for me. They're not ready for whatever this program is. If it really is a price objection, like I really can't pay my bills if I hire you. I don't want those people to hire me. Like I want you to be able to pay your bills, right? Like if you're choosing between groceries and hiring me, go buy groceries. Right. I think that's where the, the slimy aspect of sales often comes into play because people who don't have the same ethical standards as you would probably come back and be like, oh, well, you know, hire me and then you'll be able to pay for groceries. I'll help you with that. And it puts people in those pressure situations where they don't know how to say no in a firm enough way for somebody who has that tactic. Yeah, I don't actually make it very hard for people to say no to me. I mean, if the answer is no, great. I move on. 
my clients that come and work with me, they always make their money back. Like if you implement the stuff that I teach, people make their money back. I had a client this last year who said, I can track $100,000 into my business this year that came directly from the things that you taught me. So I know my clients earn their money back when they work with me, but at the same time, I'm not going to push in those situations. Now, if they ask me, if they go, well, I'm a little hesitant to commit because I'm not sure I'm going to make my money back, then I can give them a myriad of examples of clients who've made the investment and been able to implement and seen the return on their investment. But again, it's not my job to try to convince people to hire me. It's my job to clearly lay out a way that somebody can get their problem, their need, their want solved by hiring me. And now it's up to them to choose yes or no. Gotcha. So final question and switching gears just a little bit. When we're talking about personal branding and obviously building up the no like and trust factor, got to get the show name in there somewhere, right? (laughs) From a personal branding point of view, your brand is your reputation. It's what people think of you. It is the the air that comes along with you when you walk into a room, right? So what can a well-laid-out sales process do for your personal brand? Well, what it does for your personal brand is it showcases you as an expert in your field. And it makes it easy for people to identify, yes, I'm an ideal client. Yes, I want to hire you. Or no, this is not for me and go away. Because the last thing you want to do from a personal brand standpoint is take on people who are not good fits. Truly, my desire is to create as many ambassadors out in the marketplace as I possibly can. And the way that I do that is by attracting my ideal client. And that means I have to show up and professionally know how to walk somebody through the sales process and make it easy for them to say, yes, Nikki's my person or no, because I want the people who hire me to be like, dang, look what happened to my business as a result of hiring Nikki. And I want people doing that for Brittany too, right? Like we want people out there being ambassadors for our brand because nothing is better than somebody saying, you know who you should hire is Brittany. She is the go-to when it comes to branding and strategy. Like you get to ride the coattails of all the credibility of the people who are out in the marketplace that are talking about you. Oh, I love that. Riding the coattails of credibility. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) I talk a lot about building authority, and I've never actually talked about it from the perspective of your sales process. So that was really valuable. I appreciate that. Oh, good. So when we are in the sales process, we've got it well laid out because we've taken uh, you know, cues, instruction, advice from somebody like you. When we're doing that, is there any one big thing that would detract from the personal brand? Yes. Not inviting people to hire you. You leave people feeling unsatisfied when you don't move them through the process and then issue the invitation for them to get what it is that they want by hiring you. So a lot of people don't ask. They just leave it out there. Like, here's my proposal. Let me know what you think. And then what happens is people make up stories because we all think the world revolves around us and we're walking around going like everything that happens is either to me because of me or as a result of like me, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of your clients are thinking these things or your prospects. And so when you don't invite people to work with you, they walk away and go, well, 
Brittany didn't want my business because she doesn't think I'm very good at what I do. Or Brittany didn't ask me to work with her because she doesn't think I can afford her. Or Brittany doesn't want to work with me because she doesn't like me. None of those things are usually true. (laughs) But because you don't issue those invitations, because you don't walk somebody through and get to the place where you invite them to work with you, they'll make up stories as to why you don't. So obviously... We're all up in our own heads. And I love how you are like, because of me, an action I took. I mean, that's definitely where I have found myself. And I know that's where some of my clients kind of hang out as well sometimes. I think the way you've laid out the sales process here is such a good example of making it about them without diving into all those weird specific questions that you mentioned earlier. (laughs) I think you just came full circle, which was pretty cool. Okay, good. So do you have anything coming up in your business that you'd like to talk with us about? Well, one of the things I have coming up is I teach storytelling for your business and it's a masterclass. I teach it virtually. It's taught in three segments. So it's over the course of three weeks over Zoom. They're two hour sessions for three weeks. So I have that coming up in April, storytelling for your business. I love my masterclasses and it's a way for people to really dig in and learn some skills that are going to help build and contribute to their ability to attract their ideal clients and move people through the process. Oh, I love that. And six hours of content. That's huge. I love to teach. (laughs) No, that's great. I love it. You know, it's so funny because, well, not, I don't know, but funny, but there's so many webinars out there. They're like, you know, these are the three secrets to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And they only spend like 10 minutes talking about those things. And then the rest of it is a sales pitch. So this is like a, (laughs) like, this is good. I mean, six hours of content. That's spectacular. Well, I will say there is some implementation time during those times because I find that with my master classes, if I teach them a concept, I give them time to implement a little bit and then I give them time to ask me questions about it. We get results faster because they don't leave the class feeling completely overwhelmed. Like, I don't know what to do first. Like they've already started getting some stuff going and now it's just putting it into practice. Like they're ready. Perfect. That's great because I'm definitely a learn by doing person. So (laughs) I have a link here that we'll be putting in the show notes. Can you tell us a little about it? Yes. So I love to give a gift when I go on a podcast and it's an ebook called Closing the Sale. So it gives some language suggestions and it's going to help boost that confidence in the closing process. And your audience can get that by going to yoursalesmaven.com forward slash K-L-T. And that's capitalized, by the way. K-L-T. No like trust. Perfect. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show. I loved talking with you and I loved hearing your approach that definitely bolsters up the no like and trust factor. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Once again, thank you to Nikki for coming on. This was a really interesting discussion for me because as someone not super experienced with sales, it's one of those things that I know can be aided by your personal brand building and vice versa, but I really didn't know how. So this was a really great entree into a whole different line of thinking. Thanks so much to Nikki for coming on here. 